podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Boom, the boys are back in another win. And K-State is sitting alone on top of the Big 12, having a laugh. Thank you, Oklahoma State. Thank you, TCU Basketball, for both pulling off uh, some, some improbable upsets. We will talk about uh, the landscape of the Big 12 race. We will talk about two massive victories for K-State this week. But before we do, remember, we are presented by, we are sponsored by, we are partnered with whatever adjectives uh, to describe the greatest relationship in K-State podcasting that there is with Manhattan Brewing Company. You heard me talk about it last week. As of release day, as you guys are listening to this, their no-quit IPA is releasing today. It is an IPA that is brewed in honor of Brady Smith. Uh, Brady is someone who I got to know in college. A lot of you who were on Go Email remember him as Metalhead. He was one of the best people I've ever interacted with. Everyone who got to interact with Brady was better off for it. He was a Hall of Fame person and a Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame Emaw, uh, without a doubt. Uh, they are doing this beer, the No Quit IPA. A portion of all sales go to a scholarship, uh, a wrestling scholarship in his name. So please get down to Manhattan Brewing Company, get a couple four packs, get a couple pints, let them know Bosco's Boy sent you. On Friday as well, they have a Don't Fear the Dark Festival celebrating dark beers. There's going to be four very rare beers on tap. So if you want a shot at some of these beers, you know, a raspberry uh, cocoa nib stout, a vanilla cinnamon stout, a peanut butter marshmallow stout, and one secret beer released on that day, you better get down there on Friday. So check out Manhattan Brewing Company. Please, please, please. Order some of the No Quit IPA, and if you're in town on Friday before that game versus Florida, please check out their Don't Fear the Dark uh, Festival for stouts and dark beers. All right, let's get into it. First and foremost, you know, I'll, I'll touch on it. Um, we had the live show, and I was able to get my thoughts out there, but uh, the, I, I still go back to that game versus Kansas, and... Uh, I, I think the funny part about this, I think for the first time maybe ever, one team was still caught up on that game, and it wasn't K-State. I listened, uh, so when I was driving from Topeka to Manhattan for the K-State game, I listened to the KU pregame show um, in the beginning of their game versus TCU, about an hour-long drive, had some time to kill, picked up a coffee, filled up my car with gas. I needed something to listen to. Um, 
I wasn't really feeling any podcasts. I'm like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll just listen to that before K-State's pregame turns on. Uh, and Honestly, I kind of wish that we had a longer pregame. I, I wish we had like, you know, an extra hour pregame for basketball. You know, we, we have Powercat game day for football. I wish we had something like that for basketball, but hey, is what it is. But I was listening and when they were doing interviews with Bill Self, with uh, the coaching staff, the entire media team, they were only talking about that game versus K-State. Oh, what could have gone right? What could have gone wrong? Um, you know, their, their, uh, pregame radio folks were still complaining about the court storm and complaining about Jerome Tang getting up on the table, complaining about players getting up on tables and that type of stuff. Um, you heard some of that from their coaches and players too. Again, in this rivalry, there have probably more times than not, that game has really affected how K-State performed in their next game. I think it is completely flipped on their head. You know, I I did not get to watch hardly any of the KU-TCU game. But when you see that result, when you see how bad KU lost at home versus TCU, which is a very good team. I'm not taking anything away from TCU. I think one team in the Sunflower State moved on and got ready for their game on Saturday, and it wasn't Kansas. It was not the Jayhawks. And that is a refreshing change to how things have gone in the Big 12 uh, basically my entire life. Sorry about that big old sniffle. I'm podcasting through uh, you know, a little bit of congestion, so I apologize. I'll try to keep that to a minimum. Um. But, but you go back and you watch those highlights, and, and this is more about the national perception than, than internal. Because I, I truly do believe Coach Tang got this team. Well, and, and here's the thing. No one's perfect. I, I'll, I'll probably talk a little bit when, when I'm talking about the uh, game versus Texas Tech. I'll probably talk about you know the slow start and maybe some stuff that uh, contributed to that. But the the national talk from the moment that game ended whether it's fox whether it's cbs whether it's espn every single college basketball national account whether it's a network whether they were personalities whether they were podcasts any of that type of stuff talking tweeting uh just promoting k-state in that win after that and then sure enough, after that, K-State rocking the two-tones, that gets a bunch of buzz as well. Maybe the thing that Jerome Tang has done the best is between his personality and the results on the field, K-State's branding, K-State's awareness, uh, just getting put back on that national spotlight is at a level we have not seen since Frank Martin. Again, I love Bruce Weber. I love that he brought us two Big 12 championships, and I love that he brought us an Elite Eight. He was the most successful basketball coach in my lifetime, but he was not a cult of personality. He was not a guy that national 
regional, or any part of the media really gravitated towards and wanted to talk about, wanted to promote, get them on podcasts, get them on uh, SportsCenter, all that type of stuff. That was not the guy that Bruce Weber was. But that 100% is the guy that Jerome Tang is. And again, when you have that, when you're able to start, again, elevating that brand, get back in that again. You know, we had a visit from the top, one of the top point guard recruits in the nation for the 2025 class. He just so happened to be accompanied by none other than K-State legend Clint Stewart, who is his high school coach. But again, getting all that publicity, being on all these different TV shows, being on these YouTube shows, having people talk about K-State and Jerome Tang, I mean, that's worth maybe even more than that win itself. Let's get into the game versus Texas Tech. First, uh, I want to talk about the atmosphere. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. Coming into that game, driving into Bramlage uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs playoff game being just a few hours later, with there being snow starting to come down, uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it was like 35 degrees, so it wasn't like wicked cold or anything. I apologize for that. I, I really did think that there were enough excuses that despite it being a sold-out crowd that, hey, a lot of the alumni, a lot of the non-students um, were just going to sit at home for this one. Uh, and I thought to myself, you know, I, I it, it's been forever, been forever since the students uh, filled up even a KU game. Like everyone talks about how, oh, you know, the student section is always filled for the KU game, but maybe not even others. Well, here's the thing. They have not filled up 100% of the student section uh, for, the K, for the KU game uh, for a while. You know, the only game in the entire Big 12 championship season that it was filled to the brim in the student section was the Oklahoma game in which we clinched the Big 12. It wasn't even the KU game. So I was thinking to myself, okay, there's next to no chance the students fill it up. You know, they can still have a great showing. They can still be rowdy as hell, uh, but but it's not going to fill up. It's not going to go beyond, you know, the three center sections. There's going to be some empties in the corner. No one's going to behind the, be behind the media. That was wrong. The students showed up filled it up, it was 100% to capacity, and then some for the second straight game, and it was, you know, before, it was like at the 10 minute mark before tip, you know, didn't even take until, uh, you know, tip off for it to happen, and the non-students showed up, guys, the Octagon of Doom is back, it is absolutely back, and the reason why it's back, the reason why we are. I, I believe we are going to continue to see these types of things is because they continue to win. If they would have laid an egg versus KU, I, I, I think some of the students probably would have been like, all right, you know, can't, can't do it. Or maybe not can't, but like, eh. It is what it is. But they have made it a event that you have to go to 
almost on the same level as football. They're having fun. The team is winning. There is a love affair with Coach Jerome Tang. And then every time there's like a moment where the students say, oh my gosh, we did this. You you, you have to make sure you come next time. It was the court storm versus KU. It was sandstorm versus Texas Tech. I don't know what it'll be versus Florida, but the way things are going, the way that uh, the in-game production, the way that Jerome Tang is connected with this group, I see no reason why every Saturday game from here on out that we don't see the full, you know, 4,000, you know, K-State students in their sections. And that truly gives a real home court advantage. And I think we're going to see the same from the non-students. Again, I think it is going to be tough. There's still, I believe, two, maybe three midweek games, night games, uh, which, I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how, it, how how those turn out. But, folks, the Octagon of Doom is back. Let's get into the game. We, we start off, actually, we start off pretty good hitting threes, um, and we even had a couple chances to push a lead that was built. And then Texas Tech ends on a very uh, little spicy, I think it started off as a 5-0 run to get the lead, and then they hit a half-court three to go up by eight at halftime. And in that first half, I, here, here I am, I, I gushed about all the uh, students, I gushed about the alumni. I gushed about how uh, how much I loved seeing that full stadium. But we didn't really get that moment. We really didn't get anything to really push that atmosphere to the best it could be in that first half. And... The entire team seemed to just be going a tick too slow, except for Marquise Noel, who really went nuts on the scoring end in that first half. Now, and this is kind of funny, because if you're going to come up with a complaint or a call-out, or if you're going to criticize anything, uh, from this team, it seems like with the exception of the two losses, Butler and TCU, it, it seems like this staff always has the answer in the second half. This staff seems to always be able to hit the ground running in that second half, early in that second half. Um, and when Coach Tank talks about it, he always says, yeah, we knew exactly what we needed to change at halftime. And you're almost like, man, you know, maybe try to make that change a little bit early in the first half when things aren't going well. You know, uh, Texas Tech basically was saying, hey, we'll let you shoot all the threes you want, but you are not going to get inside. And hey, we're going to let Marquise Noel get a couple open threes, but we're not going to let Keontae Johnson get going. That was their game plan. And I think they executed it perfectly. I want to give credit to Texas Tech. And I, I think they, I mean, could you imagine being a Texas Tech fan right now? 0-7? Is it 0-7? 0-8? Whatever it is in the Big 12? 
I mean, and if they were in the Pac-12, they would be they they would win the Pac-12. You know, if if they were in the Big East, they'd probably you know win the Big East. Um, the the overall quality that the Big Twelve have has is wild. The fact that Texas Tech is winless, West Virginia only has one win. I mean, folks, come on now. It's wild. So, you know, Texas Tech played great. And they, they are capable of, if any team in the conference comes out slow, if any team in the conference comes out unfocused, they have the ability to put it on you. Now, luckily, K-State was hot early. They hit a lot of threes early, especially Marquise Noel. And we were able to uh, have a lead for parts of that first half. And then when they go on that big run, um, you're only going down seven or eight, whatever it was at halftime, and not double digits. Um, And then when the second half gets going, again, we, we start to see these change. We see something click, you know. Texas Tech gets a couple buckets. I start getting in my feelings. Coach Tank t- calls a timeout, and then sure enough, we go on a like a twenty-three to five type run, and that is what is dangerous about this team. This is what is dangerous about Jerome Tang's Kansas State Wildcats. They are capable of flipping a switch and going on those runs. And do you want to know why? It is because in any given game, you could probably make an argument that K-State has two of the three best players in that game with Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson. And without a doubt, versus Texas Tech, K-State did have the two best players. It's Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel. And when they get going... When Keontae Johnson starts playing with aggression and feeling himself, I don't think there's anyone in the Big 12 who can stop him. It was another, and I feel like you have one moment in every game uh, now since conference play started where Keontae Johnson has a dunk and it just makes the crowd lose it you know we we had the two alley-oops that were kind of like the finishing move you had the alley-oop versus Oklahoma State you have that alley-oop versus KU now you have that coast-to-coast dunk in which he got fouled and honestly he got he's he's been fouled on all three of these none of which are called you know it, it seems like all the superstars in the Big 12 get the superstar treatment except for Keontae Johnson, but that might be a conversation for another day. But there's the steal. He goes coast to coast. He just elevates, two-hand slam, boom. Place goes nuts. And then they hit him with Sandstorm. And at that point, you know, I you had to feel like the game was probably over. Now, Texas Tech kind of stayed within touching distance at points in that game, but, you know, the, it, it's almost like that finishing moment. You know, if you let Keontae Johnson dunk on you and take your soul, like, folks, you know, I, I could try to make, like, a WWE or a professional wrestling, uh, you know, analogy here. Mitch Fortner, who is, you know, PA at K-State Games and uh, host of the game, uh, 
from four to six on thirteen fifty k man in Manhattan. He probably could come up with a better analogy for this, but it, when 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 Keontae Johnson just dunks on you, and takes your soul. It's like okay, that's game over. You know, it happened. You know, a little bit later in the game versus Texas Tech. Uh, than it did versus Oklahoma State or versus KU. But, I mean, it, it, again, it, it was another Sports Center top 10 type play. Just an ex- exclamation point on Keontae Johnson's uh, second half. And we, we, we already talked about Marquise Noel a little bit, but he really got back to himself. I think he was 4 of 8 from 3 in the first half. He did go 0 of 3 uh, from 3 in the second half. And uh, only one two-point field goal. And and honestly, this is shame on me. I should have done a little bit better research. I don't know if it happened in the first half or not. But it was a tale of two halves for him. And then he goes 9 of 10 uh, from the free throw line. Uh, and he, he's the guy that you want with the ball in his hands uh, closing games out. Uh, he had eight assists himself. He had uh, five assists. So again, 23, 8, and 5. Again, another game in which I think we have all just become accustomed to seeing from Marquise Noel. Playing great defense as well. Keontae Johnson, uh, again, just a miraculous, just a great second half. uh, Going uh, 3 of 7 from the field, 1 of 1 from 3. Here's the thing. Only 7 field goal attempts. Again, I I understand... uh, you know, he's a guy who wants to play within the offense. But I almost feel like you need him to be a little bit more aggressive. He goes 8 of 10 from the free throw line. I think he's starting to find himself at the free throw line. Uh, 11 rebounds. He had 3 assists himself. Uh, again, the one thing that happens with Keontae, that if if he cleaned this up, um, you know, the, the ceiling is the roof, as Michael Jordan once said. Four turnovers. Uh, again, he, he led the team in turnovers. And I think uh, Amok, uh, he he also had four. Uh, so, you know, tied for the game lead with four turnovers. You don't love seeing it. Uh, but again, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to really hammer him for that uh, when, when you have 15 points. Um, overall, pretty quiet game from everyone else. Uh, you know, Tyke Green only played five minutes, no points. Desi Sills came back to earth a little bit, only four points, uh, in his 26 minutes, two of five shooting. Um, Cam Carter, one of six from the field, only three points. Naquan Tomlin, a lot of foul trouble. O of three from three, but two of two from two. Only grabbed two rebounds. Uh, had two turnovers, one assist, only four points in his 21 minutes, which was plagued by uh, foul trouble. Uh, Egiola, the birthday boy, two of four from the field, um, three of four from the free throw line, which was massive, only 18 minutes, but had seven points. And then uh, we'll, we'll go to the bench. First, we're going to start with David Gasson. So happy he was back. Only played four minutes, and he actually took a pretty cheap shot right at midcourt, uh, which pissed me off, qu- quite frankly. Um, 
That guy would have been ejected if it was college football. He he took his shoulder, put it right under uh, David Gasson's chin, took him out. I'm glad the Big 12 referees went to the monitor, gave a flagrant one. Uh, he had two free throws, missed them both. Didn't really do much during his four minutes out there on the stat sheet, except for those missed free throws. But I'm glad to see him on the court. Um, I hope we see him for five to ten minutes versus Iowa State. I hope you can get it up to 10 to 15 versus Florida. And then by the time you go to Allen Fieldhouse and then have uh, TCU, or no, it's Texas. And by the time you have Texas come to your gym on that Saturday, the stripeout game, I hope you can have David Gasson with no minutes restriction. Very happy to see him back. And now let's talk about the guy who was the third leading scorer, only 22 minutes. Uh, but the, the guy has become absolutely massive out there. And that's the guy they're starting to call Big 12-ish. Now, we gave him his roses for his big game versus KU. I've made a point to point out that in crunch time moments, in overtime, having to get big stops, it's been him and Cam Carter who are combining you know, in a double team to see things out. So he's playing big on defense. And last night, or yesterday afternoon, I should say, uh, Saturday afternoon, since you guys are going to be listening to this on Monday, was, was no different. Ishmael is out there giving it his all on defense. And, and I, I hand up, I 100% was in this group. I And I don't think anyone was wrong. When you go back and watch non-conference play, and even maybe the first couple games of uh, Big 12 play, while he would make some big plays, you could see him maybe falling asleep on a couple possessions on defense. But you know what? Who doesn't? And criticized for some of the turnovers. Criticized in the non-con for not making some of these shots. But Big 12-ish has turned into a guy you can just straight up depend on. You can just straight up depend on. And boy, am I happy. I am happy for this young man. Because again, I'm not sitting here and saying that I was immune to it. And I'm not sitting here saying uh, that it wasn't uh, warranted. I mean, Coach Tang kind of said, hey, there's a point where things just clicked. Ish Masood in postgame. Yesterday, he, he went in front of the media. He himself said, hey, uh, something kind of clicked when he went home for Christmas. And he's just like, hey, you know, I, I have to turn it up. And turn it up, he has. He was the third leading scorer, like I mentioned. Uh, and, and, and he's become a guy who, uh, I don't know if I'll, I'll go as far as saying instant offense off the bench. But again, he went 5 of 6 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, got those 12 points, had a block. Only one turnover, two assists, only did grab one rebound. And uh, I'll get to that here in a second. But uh, the, the team just looks to be having fun, and I'm so glad he is part of it. And I'm so glad he is finding this role and he's playing it appropriately. Now, uh, <laughs> he... he uh, he can't guard Lampkin. I I don't know what we're going to do with TCU when they come in. And he, he does 
struggle to go one-on-one with traditional bigs down there. Uh, but if, if they're playing like a stretch five, or if he's able to guard a stretch four, he's able to get out there and play defense. When it is crunch time and someone needs to double down on a driver, needs to help on top of a ball screen, Isha Masood has proved that he is able to do it. And Big 12-ish, which is everything that they're saying, uh, he has been a massive part and some would say maybe even like, you know, the most important piece to some of these wins. Now, I wouldn't go that far. I would not go that far. But Ish, again, he was that number three scorer to go along with Keontae and Marquise Noel. And in a game where you hold Texas Tech to only 58 points. Now, pace of play slowed down. You know, we, we've seen games... Go with that absolutely breakneck pace. Uh, Saturday was not one of those. Um, so, and, and so we've 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 seen games where it slowed down a little bit, and that was one of them. But when you're holding a team to 58 points, getting that third guy to get you to double figures is absolutely massive. And the entire team played good defense. Now, we still struggle on the offensive boards. Uh, it looks like we got out rebounded by four. They grabbed 23 offensive rebounds. We, we only grabbed 10. Uh, 23. Texas Tech had more offensive rebounds than they had defensive rebounds. Um, that's, that's wild. Something has to change. You know, something has to change. Um, they were, were, were giving up, you know, I think over 40%, over 35, 40% of our misses in Big 12 player getting rebounded by the opposing team. And and it's almost getting to the point where it's like, all right, hey, it, it just kind of is what it is. Because, I mean, what? We're 19 games into the season. We're almost two-thirds of the way through the season. I don't think that there is a button. I don't think that there is some, you know, Mike's secret stuff from Space Jam that they can drink, and then all of a sudden, they become a better defensive rebounding team. I I think it just kind of is what it is at this point. And I imagine, uh, as I'm coming to you guys on the live shows and talking your ears on Mondays, talking about this basketball team, I imagine that it just kind of is what it is. I I, I think I'm just going to talk about it, um, and you guys are just going to have to listen to it. I'm not happy about it, but... I, I, I'm kind of to the point where it's like, all right, we're just going to have to win in spite of that. And I think what is important, because yesterday was one of those days, we didn't get killed on second chance points. Uh, and, and what that comes down to is still having good defense. And if you give up that offensive rebound, being able to then get right back into your defensive set, get right back to that point where you can get in there and you can get another stop, and then you get another crack at a defensive rebound. Then making the most of our opportunities on the offensive glass. Again, they definitely out-rebounded us, but they didn't murder us on second-chance points. So if we make the most, if we convert at a higher rate of our offensive rebounds than them, then that is going to help mitigate uh, kind of rebounding that is left to be desired 
Now, the only other thing I'm going to touch on from that game before we look ahead to the game on Tuesday and the game on Saturday is uh, specifically Naquan Tomlin. And, And again, this is another thing we've talked about, and this is another thing that I think Naquan himself needs to work on not only to benefit K-State, but to benefit his pro potential, to benefit, you know, his own, not legacy, but to, to, to really see out the full potential that he has. Because again, this is a guy whose size and athletic ability, just pure basketball uh, skill, it, it's a first round draft pick, you know? It 100% is a first-round draft pick. That is his talent level. But he seems to, in certain games, uh, and actually most games, find himself at some point in foul trouble. Now, fouling out versus KU, I mean, that's a game that went to overtime. It kind of is what it is. But because he hasn't earned Drum Tang's trust, and I don't, and, I, and this is not me advocating for it, because the, the guy finds himself in defensive positions where uh, it is easy to call him you know, for a foul, even if he doesn't. And quite frankly, he just does make stupid fouls on occasion. Now, if he could cut that out of his game, because here's the thing, he played over 20 minutes yesterday. He played over half the, half the game. But he was never able to get into rhythm. Uh, Coach Tang tried to you know, steal some offense for defense, but... Naquan is someone who, if he can get in the rhythm of the game, if he can feel the rhythm of the game, that is where he's at his best on offense. And especially after he rebounded so well versus Kansas, uh, that is something we definitely could have used that entire game versus Texas Tech. Now, splitting hairs, you know, when when you win a game by 10 in the Big 12, again, there's only been a handful of games that have been double digit wins uh, this entire season. You know, you're almost halfway through Big 12 play. There's only been a handful of them, you know, across the 30 or so games or whatever's been played. Um, so, so it's nitpicking a bit, yes. Um, but, but I, I, I think it is something that we need to talk about because, again, when this team is at their best, I think that includes Naquan Tomlin. Uh, being on the floor, being in the rhythm of the game, being someone who's grabbing rebounds and doing what we've seen on offense. This guy uh, is, I mean, I think he has more, you know, sports center top 10 plays in the entire, than, you know, anyone else in the Big 12. That's the type of player he is. So if he can find himself, and this isn't like the rebounding. I've kind of given up on the rebounding. Because Naquan Tomlin still is learning the game of high major basketball. This is a guy who didn't play AAU, wasn't playing in high school. You know, he he played, he was in the JUCO system for three years. He's getting the best coaching. and He's still learning how to play this level of basketball. Um, I think that by February, by March, this guy can get to where we need it to be. He just needs to continue to buy into the coaching buy into the defensive side of the floor because, uh, I mean, I I think we need to take away the green light for him to shoot the three. But 
inside the arc and especially around the rim when he's able to elevate, uh, there aren't many people in the Big 12 or in the nation who can stop him. So uh, I'm excited to see where things go with him. And I I think he will get there. I I truly do. I think he's just going to continue to get better. Now let's look ahead to the next two games. And and folks, it's a doozy. Um, K-State sits alone at the top of the Big 12. So nothing that happens going into the Big 12 SEC Challenge, kind of at the midway point of Big 12 play, nothing can happen between now and our game with Florida, which would see us any worse then tied for first. You know, this is this is why K-State has the potential to be a great team. In a league where truly 10 could beat one by 15, by 20, West Virginia and Texas Tech are more than capable on their best day of beating anyone in the Big 12 by 20. They are that good, and anyone who tells you differently is stupid. But in this league, it was a Saturday in which the other two teams in the Big 12 stumbled. And we didn't. We found a way to make sure we took care of business. And again, we were down by eight at halftime. It easily could have gone the other way. It easily could have been a game where all three of the big dogs in the Big 12 lost. I know Texas was wishing that happened. Shout out to Texas, who again, in a, in, in a crazy tough game. Again, listen to this. Texas going down to the wire at West Virginia. Baylor only winning by two at Oklahoma. Iowa State losing by two at Oklahoma State. KU getting boat raced by 23 at home versus TCU. K-State gutting out, winning by 10 in a game they were down by eight at halftime. The Big 12 is a gauntlet. It is the... Biggest and best league it may, truly in the history of college basketball this year. I truly believe that. And K-State was able to make sure they took care of business on a weekend where the other two teams we came in tied with couldn't. You know, and, and, and what is this is the scary part. You, you look at the Big 12 standings. It is K-State alone at, at the top, but you have Kansas. You have Iowa State. You have Texas, all with two losses. And then, oh, hey, by the way, TCU and Baylor with three losses. This is still anybody's race. But because you took care of business versus TC, or versus Texas Tech at home, the worst thing that could happen is you lose versus Iowa State and you're tied. You know, I mean, it could be a freaking just pile up. You know, tied for first. Because KU has uh, Baylor on the road. We're at Iowa State. Oklahoma is going to TCU. Oklahoma State to Texas. I mean, there's a very real chance that uh, there's a four-way tie at the top of the conference. Um, And that's absolutely wild. Uh, The the Big 12 is just a beast. Um, and, And while... I think it is now time to, it's, it's okay to start dreaming. It's okay to start looking at what needs to happen to win the Big 12. Um, anything can happen. But I'll tell you this. If you go, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry about that. 
If you go into Hilton Coliseum in what is going to be a top 15 matchup, uh, K State, I believe, will be in the first or in the uh, top 10 for the first time since 2013. Uh, folks, it, it's going to be wild. And, and as much as I love, and boy, do I love to do it, I, I love making fun of Iowa State. Um, you know, their fans are going to be hyped. It's going to be a wild one. It, it is going to be the single most hostile and rowdy crowd I think K-State will play in front of this entire season. That includes next Tuesday's matchup with KU. I truly believe this is going to be the most ruckus away environment they play in. Now, can they stay composed? Can they play within themselves? And can they make things count? Iowa State, best defense in the conference. Can you find a way to get buckets? Can you find a way to grit shots? Can you find the way to get to the free throw line and get buckets? You know, time, time, time's going to tell. It's going to be a massive one. You win that one, I mean, it, it, it's really going to send things into a fever pitch. Um, but again, the worst thing that can happen is a four-way tie first place if you do lose it uh the florida game look um you you don't want to say it is a i mean florida is more than good enough to beat you if you don't come in and play within yourself but this is a game that we should win this is a game this is the easy quote-unquote easiest game we have on our schedule for rest of the season I do worry a little bit about Keontae trying to force the issue. We we heard the conversation about Keontae trying to force things versus Radford because their head coach was a an assistant at Florida, so he's trying to you know show off a little bit. Uh, so and you know I, I think there's a little bit of that with Nebraska because Nebraska was in on his recruitment early, and both those first halves were a, a little rough for him. So if Keontae Johnson can come into that game Saturday hosting Florida, uh, I think they want you wearing lavender. uh, And I think uh, it's going to be the alumni game where a lot of the uh, former players uh, and staff members come onto the floor during halftime. Uh, You know, if he can can hit the ground running in that game, you should be able to take care of business. So we'll have to see what happens. Um... But it's going to be a big one. Every game is a big one. That is the fun about being at this level of basketball. Look, it would take the biggest collapse in the history of college basketball for us not to make the NCAA tournament. That is no longer the goal. The goal is no longer, you know, get to the NCAA tournament. It is okay, and it is time to say it out loud. It is fine to say, hey, at this point, It's okay to say the goal is to win the Big 12. The goal is to play for a great seed in the NCAA tournament. And why it's okay to say that, the team and the fans need to also realize, look, all it takes is an off day here or there, uh, first half high ankle sprain. A game where they just hit shots. And you could have a three-game losing streak just like that. 
that is what makes this year's Big 12 scary, but also so much fun. And I, I think Jerome Tang and this team has proven that, yes, while uh, they came out slow in the first half, they, they knew how to turn it on in the second half at home. I think that they read their press clippings a little bit and they uh, were asleep at the wheel and TCU absolutely demolished us. And, and I think that is good because when I think on Monday when it comes out, okay, K-State is the number eight team in the nation or whatever it ends up being, I think they since they had that reality check, with that loss at TCU, I think that they're going to be able to say, all right, guys, you know, it's just a number. We have a job at hand, and that is to beat the Cyclones in their own home. So I think everything is going far beyond anything I could have hoped, and I hope you guys are enjoying this ride. Remember, if you can, get into Manhattan Brewing Company. Friday they have their Don't Fear the Dark Dark Beer Festival, and then of course the No Quit IPA brewed in honor of Brady Smith, one of the best people I've ever met. Um, I, I know so many folks still miss him, but proceeds of that beer go to a wrestling scholarship in his name. So get to Manhattan Brewing Company, make that their best selling beer of all time, folks. Get in there, check them out, have a couple pints. Uh, let them know Bosco's boy sent you. Uh, that's all we have today. Tomorrow you will hear me talking about uh, how the football uh, rosters come together. Again, so much has happened uh, since the last time we sat down and talked football. Uh, and I think it's time we talk about it because, folks, uh, I don't know how, but I feel like Chris Kleiman's almost kind of done it again, uh, getting this roster ready so you don't have this massive uh, – you know, fall back that I, I've just been dreading and, and maybe it's just never going to come. Um, so we'll talk about that tomorrow uh, for Chauncey, the best dog in the world, uh, for Manhattan Brewing Company, for all the Wildcats all across the world. We love you guys and go Cats. It's time to get set for the cat attack. You can feel it coming on for Kansas State. The feeling's growing strong. You can join in the action. This is where you wanna be with Kansas State. Come on, set your spirit free. Kansas State, our pride is with the cats. Kansas State, come on, join the cat attack. Kansas State, excitement's in the air. Podcast Network.